0: Hi, my name is Grace
1: Watkins, and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production focused on the why of business, media, and marketing. It's made by my team at Nural, a digital agency for challenger brands and talent. To learn more, just visit nural.com. That's neurall dot com. My guest this week, Grace. Grace and her jam piece of toast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Grace, uh, co-founder and CEO at Click Management, a talent agency for gamers. It's a good question. Toast in the morning, peanut butter, Vegemite, jam or something else?
0: Um, it was peanut butter and jam this morning. Oh, I really okay. let loose. It's like 11am though and I haven't eaten yet. So I was like, I need something that's going to fill me up. For this. Yeah,
1: you need, you need that sugar boost. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that like your go-to breakfast?
0: Honestly, I'm not really a breakfast person usually. Um, I usually like get up, exercise, have a coffee and then get through to like 12 and then I'll eat which is like partly out of laziness and partly because I tell myself um, that I feel a little bit more productive with work in the mornings when I'm not feeling really full. So yeah, right.
1: Were you always <laughs> yeah. like, have you always been like that? Because I, since I was a kid, I just think back and like I have a really... I fucking hated like cereal. I hated cold things for breakfast.
0: Oh my God. I loved cereal. I wish really? I'd be eating cereal every day. Yeah. 100%. Like like
1: rice bubbles and all that sort of... Yeah. Maybe it was because of my family. My parents were like ultra strict when it came to sweet things, <laughs> so to speak. So my version of breakfast was like, oh, you can have Sultana bran or yeah. um, oats or something like that. And yeah. yeah, so I was never really a breakfast person growing up. We you yeah. like that at all?
0: Um, my parents were also quite strict on what we were uh, allowed to eat, and you know, being relatively healthy. I think Just Right was like as good as it got. Which yeah. Now as an adult, I'm like Just Right has so much sugar anyway, but it's whatever. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but I think as an adult now, since moving out of home, I feel like the idea of like sitting down and eating breakfast in the morning feels like a lot of time that I don't <laughs> usually have. So, um, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on uh just I'll just make like a shake in the morning. I think mm-hmm. um if I had to genuinely sit down and eat, I would freak out. Like yeah. just it's the <laughs> it's the waste it's the time wasting for me that I just can't deal with. Yeah. Um what's your earliest memory?
0: Oh my gosh. Um straight into the heavy stuff. It's just gone <laughs> from breakfast to earliest memory. Um my earliest memory I think it would probably be like, some of the family holidays that we would do in Fiji. My, my parent, my whole family actually for years and years went to this one island on Fiji, in Fiji and I just have, like, the best memories growing up there as a kid and having all these, like, amazing times with my cousins and brothers and sisters and that sort of thing. So, that would probably be, probably be an earliest memory.
1: Why Fiji?
0: Yeah, my grandparents went there, like, in the, in the 60s or 70s, I think, for the first time. And they just loved it, fell in love with the people that were on this island and then took my dad and his brothers and sisters there um, all the time while they were growing up. They all did honeymoons there. And then when they all started having kids, that was like where we went. Every year we would do these like big family holidays with like 23 of us. It It was a lot of fun.
1: So what do your parents do for work or what did they do for work when you were growing up?
0: So my dad was in banking, really, but he actually stopped working when my younger sister was born and he was basically, you know, the house husband. Um, And my mum has always had um, very corporate roles. She's like a pretty, yeah, pretty incredible woman in business in Australia. She was a massive, massive role model for me growing up, for sure. And I think it was an interesting dynamic to grow up in where, you know, I think traditionally there's still a lot of family dynamics where the male's the one working and the mother's the one staying at home. And that was like very much flipped for me. You know, mum was always the one that was working a lot. She was um, away from home quite a lot in my teenage years with work. And I think at the time that was maybe something that I resented a little bit or I didn't didn't really see it for what it was. But I think like as I've gotten older and as I've started studying. And as I've started working, yeah, she's incredible. And um, it's been, she's been a massive role model.
1: So when you say resented, is that because your friends had different home lives more than anything?
0: Resented maybe a bit of a tough word, but I think it's <laughs> like, you know, when you're a teenage girl, I mean, you don't know when you're a teenage girl, but when you're a teenage girl, and I think like, you know, she wasn't there to come to like assemblies or sports events or sports days or whatever. And she wasn't, you know, they're having coffee with the other mums after the school drop off and that sort of thing. And I guess maybe I felt like I kind of wanted that. Like she was never that super warm, cuddly mum that was like there to greet you when you got home from school because she was she was working a lot. Um, and I think there were probably at some points during my teenage life where I really wanted that. But, you know, I, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I,
1: I can relate to that. I mean, I think when I grew up, even now, uh, as a thirty-something-year-old, thirty-one, I still do it a little bit. But I think when you're when you're a female, you look up to your mum more directly because you can relate. Same with me and my dad. I would just look up to my dad more, and I would often yeah. try see- not seek his approval. But yeah, there's definitely something to that. Like the frustration and resentment is the right word. I think I found mm-hmm. I felt resentment. To the fact that like dad wasn't around, you know, and in hindsight, it's like, oh, fuck no shit. Like he was sending us to a private school uh, on the (laughs) back of working till, you know, 11 at night when we were very young, not having many memories as a kid of him coming home. But my actual memories of being like sitting in the the factory because he was a printer and like smelling like fresh paper. That was like my memories of dad as a kid, not. Yeah, sitting at a dinner table, so to speak. So I hundred percent ag- agree with that. That that's just definitely that's just part of being a kid, right? Yeah. And then yeah. it's not it's not until either you're older or you're a parent that you you realize the sacrifice that your parents put in.
0: Definitely, yeah.
1: What like corporate area does your mum work in?
0: Um, she's been the CEO of a couple of listed businesses over the last 10 to 15 years. So. Most recently up until um, about March this year, she was the CEO of Coca-Cola Amatil. Okay. Um, And now she has a few board roles. She's on the board of the Reserve Bank. So she's still keeping busy.
1: Okay. So this is Alison Watkins. Yes. Yeah. So (laughs) quite quite a well-known individual in the business space. Yeah. If you're in finance in particular because of the RBA stuff recently. Yeah. It's always interesting. So... In hindsight, growing up as a kid, was there any like core principles that you'd learnt from your parents growing up?
0: Hmm. I think some of the main things that my parents really instilled with me that have held through to what I'm doing today is probably around like really putting in effort. I think they were big, big on trying and and doing your best. And I think that's very general advice um, that probably a lot of people would say like, oh, of course, that's what your parents say. But I think like that was something that was like very drilled into me growing up, certainly with school growing up. uh, You know, my parents had extremely high expectations on me, my dad in particular, um, like not performing well at school was not really an option. And I think at the time I found elements of that quite challenging as well. You know, I have memories of like, getting 90% on on a maths test or something and coming home and being really excited to tell my dad, like I got 90% on a maths test and him being like, what happened to the other 10%? (laughs) You know, things like that. Yeah, I I think just that real hunger to do well was something that they really instilled in in me and that attitude of like, no one else is going to give it to you. So I don't know, like even when that came to picking a university degree or thinking about the way that I wanted to, what jobs I wanted to pick or the way that I approach click my business now, you know, it's like, what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? And being really honest about like, what do you need to do to achieve that? So I think I think those elements of hard work for sure. But I would also say that they were really good at also instilling, you know, that really the the importance of family and the importance of relationships. And I'm very, very close with my siblings now. I work with two of them. Um, my parents are like absolutely my biggest advisors. I'm on the phone to them like five times a day being like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like they'd be two kind of core themes for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess they've, look, they've done the right thing in that it sounds like you and your siblings have done something with your lives because <laughs> you know we we've both been to private schools and we've seen what can happen where children are treated in a certain way and they don't have that innate drive so yeah. to speak because of the environment they grew up in. Yeah. Even if you look at your career and studies, you could sort of see how you were definitely on that track. Um you know like straight out of uni. So you did com law uh what was that at Deacon straight out of the gate you're at Deloitte as an intern um, some really high quality companies like Benelong Group Oak Tree which I found very interesting I mean you don't know of Oak Tree unless like you're really in the finance space I love Howard Marks Is that Oak Tree Capital Oak Tree or a different Oak Tree
0: No that's Oak Tree actually the not for profit okay. so they're also in Melbourne they're a non-for-profit. They're run completely by people under the age of 26. Yeah. Um, so they do some really big campaigns um, like Live Below the Line. They run that. And yeah, I was strategy director for Live Below the Line for a year or so.
1: Yeah. So you, you look at these roles like PwC was with the last one uh, with you finishing up there in August 2018. During that period of your career, before founding Click and during that segue period, are there any sort of golden principles of grace that stand out from that time? Like things that you would say, this is how I'm going to run my business versus this is how I'm not going to run my business.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because oftentimes when I say that I was doing audit at PwC, people kind of like roll their eyes or <laughs> chuckle a little bit. And they're like, oh, no wonder you wanted to get out and um, and that sort of thing. And I think I actually loved my time at PwC. I think it was the best learning base. And in some ways, I think I wish I'd stayed longer um, because I feel like it was such a nurtured learning environment. And I was surrounded by so many smart, good people all the time that were genuinely there to help you improve. And I think that is something that is underrated until you start your own business. And you realize that there's no one there telling you how to do things or helping you or if you have a question, giving you the answer or saying, hey, I've done this before. It's like you're really on your own. And that was quite a bit of a shock to me at some points. And, and so I think the, the best things that I gained from that time at PwC were really the importance of good coaching, I think. So helping other people understand in a really good way what they're doing Um, And I had this incredible partner, actually, that I worked mostly with. His name um, is Mark Dow. And he was great. I feel like I just learned a lot from him. And I still like regularly reflect on some of the lessons that he would say. He, He was always be like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Do you understand why you're doing it? And I think like when you're a junior person, it can be very easy to get lost in the detail and just be like, oh, this is what I'm doing today and it's like this specific task and you're not thinking about how it fits into the bigger picture and you're not doing like a zoom out of like does this make sense is this like contributing to the broader goal and I think he was brilliant at always instilling that in me and understanding how what you're doing on the day-to-day fits into the larger picture whether that be you're working on a project with a team or you have like a vision for your company or anything like that, really. And so I think that's probably something that I still try to reflect on a lot with my own work today. Like, if I'm doing something and I'm just like, why am I doing this? Like, how is this fitting into the bigger picture? Like, let's zoom out for a second and think about, like, is this actually contributing to the wider goal? And if not, why are we doing it? And it's something that I definitely like with my team and, and the staff that we have at Click now, try to help them think about, like, what are we actually trying to achieve here, you know, beyond whether that be like, you know, if we're doing an ad spend campaign for merch, for example, for someone's newest merch job, it's like, why are we doing this? Like, what are we actually trying to achieve by this? And is, you know, the inputs that we're putting into it feeding that larger purpose?
1: It's quite amazing when you're a young, like a young person getting into your first corporate job, the impact that someone can have on you. Like I, I remember about, uh, Actually, it wasn't my first corporate job, but it was the, the most professional hospitality organization I'd ever been in. Yeah. And the lady, Angie, who runs a few well-known restaurants now in Melbourne, uh, there's always this thing. She would speak to me having a Greek background and it's called philotomo, which means humility and talking about that from an element of customer service still to this day sticks with me and I still talk to staff about it.
0: Yeah. It's funny how think-
1: you you do that, right?
0: Definitely. And he and he mark the partner. I, I think about him a lot when I think about like my own leadership now. And obviously I'm yeah. leading a team and and have staff. And I think being still like young, definitely when I started Click, I was really young. I often grappled a lot with feelings of self-doubt and feeling like, oh, I don't know how to lead a team. I've never lead, led a team before. How do I do that? A lot of like conflicting feelings around trying to be friends with people. And, you know, I think I'm inherently like a people pleaser at heart. I really used to struggle significantly if I felt like people didn't like me or if I had to give someone feedback that they weren't going to like to hear, I would really struggle with that. But the thing that I would think about Mark and I would think like, he wasn't my friend, you know, he wasn't even, I would say that friendly. Um, like he he was pretty tough to be honest. And I often felt like, you know, he held me to like really high standards and I would come into the room and I would want to impress him. You know, I would like want to be doing a good job for him. And maybe that's the people pleaser in me, but maybe that's also because, um, I saw that he wasn't just trying to be friends with me. He wasn't trying to like keep me happy all the time. He was trying to help me be better at my job. And that and I think I often think about that that it's not my job to be everyone's best friend and that's not even and if I was being everyone's best friend that's probably not me doing a particularly good job either so I think those those sort of leadership examples um, I hold on to I hold on to a lot and
1: it's very hard that like that element of your person because you've got sort of like five key areas of your personality are you organized and conscientious are you extroverted or introverted? Are you agreeable or disagreeable? Um, what else? Are, there? are you open or creative? Yeah, so Those are sort of the key elements and they all define us as individuals and eventually leaders. And there's no doubt like that element of agreeability is a double-edged sword on both sides. Because mm-hmm. I would find myself to be definitely more disagreeable. Like coming from a Greek family, like we would debate on anything with anyone. My my yeah. wife said my wife says this to me all the time. Like you will just argue for the sake of it. Like yeah. So you know that. Oh my god! I'm so not hard. like that at all. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I hate conflict, and I think that has been something that I found most challenging now about running a business is that um, I think I was very much. Like for the first couple of years of having Click, I was all in the mindset of like, how can I minimize problems? How can I minimize conflict? Um, And, you know, the less problems and the less conflict that there is, the smoother everything will be. And, you know, it was probably a little bit of a baptism by fire to realize that if you're running your own business, you are not going to avoid conflict. Like it will, it will, it will happen. It will, it will come up. Like there will be constant problems. Like there'll be constant competing interests, you are not going to be able to keep everyone happy as much as you think you might want to. And so I think learning to get a little bit more uncomfortable in that uncomfortable state and learning how to be yourself even in difficult situations and be kind in difficult situations has definitely been a learning.
1: Yeah. But in saying that it's also it's it's going to make you more empathetic to people and more diplomatic you know, Definitely. in conversation. <laughs> so, you know, something that, you know, you may look at me and go, oh, he finds it easy to be disagreeable and meet, um, you know, ha- not have arguments, but just get to a point on something. It, that can also be a downfall as well. So it's 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 not the best thing in the yeah. world. Let's talk about the gaming opportunity. So you got into it because of your brother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does he constantly remind you of that fact that you should be
0: thanking <laughs> <laughs> I think he did, maybe for like the first year and a half. And now I think I Elliot, my brother is like honestly my biggest cheerleader. He's incredible, he's like the ultimate teammate along with our other business partner, Emma. Um, I think he I think we realize that we fill each other's gaps. you know, I think Elliot and I are a very well-paired yin and yang, especially in business, where you know, he is fiery and energetic and has a million ideas every day and is completely big picture, you know, whereas um, for me, I am a little bit more low key. I'm much more of a planner. I'm much more detail oriented, Um, but I'm not as good at that like huge, big ideas coming all the time, thinking really big. Um, And so I think both of us need each other. You know, I need him to be able to like get me, um, thinking big and conceptualizing what everything could look like in a perfect world. and I think he needs me to kind of like bring him back down to earth a little bit sometimes and actually get shit done. Um, so i I think we're a good we're a good pair.
1: yeah, it's a good mix there's definitely something to be said about having a co-founder that can't do things that you can do and vice versa.
0: absolutely I Advocate for co founders so much. I feel like I often talk to people now that are thinking of starting their own business. And I think a good co founder is the most underrated, but biggest cheap code for <laughs> a successful business. I really, really do. Like, I think oftentimes there's this feeling of just like, oh, it's my idea, or if it goes well, I want to be the only leader and that sort of thing. And I just think co-founders for a number of reasons are really good. I think it's it's not possible or it's highly unlikely that you are going to have the complete set of skills that you need to run a business to the best, of, the best that it could possibly go. Generally, you're going to have someone that's a little bit more analytical, someone that's a little bit more of the ideas man, um, someone that maybe has the technical skills that one of the other people doesn't. So, I think from that perspective of having people that fill those gaps, that is really important. And then I would truly not underestimate the value in having a teammate when shit gets tough. Yeah. Um, Because there is a number of challenges financial challenges, emotional challenges, logistical challenges, just the weight of the weight of running a business is heavy sometimes. And I think for me, having two people that I know are 100% on my team, in my corner, they are, we're in the trenches together, um, has been the most valuable thing. I do not think I would make it this far or have, have come as far as we have without either of them. They have been I think the three of us as a team have been like our critical elements to success.
1: And it would be incredibly lonely. There's no doubt about that. Oh. On your own. I, I couldn't do this shit on my own. Fuck that.
0: No. <laughs> and I think like, you know, it, it's having someone in the trenches with you there when it gets tough. And it's also having someone to like, pull you out sometimes with the detail and give you a pat on the back. Yeah. Um. Because a pat on the back is something that you don't get as much when you're running your own business. And I think like I mentioned before that I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I think I like really um, thrive on positive feedback. And that was something that you got a lot of when I was at PwC or previous roles where it's like there's constant feedback and there are constantly people coaching you and saying like, hey, you did a good job on this. You you know, could do better here. When we started Click, there was none of that. No one was going to say like, hey, you did a great job. <laughs> it's like that that person's just not there. Yeah. So you either need to you know, learn how to give it to yourself, which has been also been something I've improved on. But I think oftentimes it'll be like me and Emma and one of us will be really stressed or, you know, we'll be having a conversation. I was having a conversation with Emma yesterday and she was just like, oh, I feel like we're not doing as well here as we could. Or why hasn't this grown by as much as we would like it to that sort of thing? And it's having, and you know, I'd pull her out and be like, well, hang on. Like, Look at where we've come from a year ago. Like we're actually doing a great job. Like we've just led a team of 15 people through working from home for four months. Everything is good. Like the business is growing. Like you've done an amazing job. And I think, and she would do that for me, you know, every other day of the week that I need that moment too. So I think a good co-founder is just the best teammate. And I yeah, a good one, I think you can't overstate. I also do know there are obviously people that pair badly with co-founders at the start. And I think um, actually this is something that Emma and I were reflecting on the other day that we got so lucky with how aligned both of us are in terms of values. And I think if I was ever to start another business with another co-founder, that would be something that I would take a lot of time up front to make sure you're picking the right person and you're having difficult conversations up front because in many ways it is like a marriage and it's a marriage. making sure that you have similar values around work-life balance, you know, like is one of you going to be there working till midnight every night and the other one wants to finish at five and have a great like balance? Because if so, both of those things are okay. But if one of you is in one camp and one of you is in the other, that's going to build resentment. Like how important is, Financial considerations for both of you, like is one of you ready to go all in and completely reinvest everything into the business and not take a salary and not take dividends for years? Um, Or is one of you there and, you know, you want to be living a particular lifestyle and not making potential sacrifices that you could be making? Because if one of you is in one camp and one of you is in the other, that is going to cause some significant issues. And they're the kind of issues that maybe don't pop up fully for like a year or two but um, they'll come and I think yeah so I think having those difficult conversations up front is would be really important I got really lucky we really didn't have any of those conversations and it just worked out but yeah
1: it's a hundred percent it's a hundred percent of marriage I mean yeah. I, my co founder is the person I married so like it's it's yeah you have to be aligned on so many factors um, yeah. it's very very hard um, yeah. I, I guess I'm curious. Uh, We've listened to previous episodes about the foundation of the business. So you were working at PwC and your brother was, as I said, the one who sort of pulled you into this but helped you identify that this was a thing. Whether it's the first 18 months or 24 months, when was the moment when you realized, okay, this is something. I'm not an imposter. uh, This is a legitimate business.
0: I think this is something... And this is and I'm not an imposter. Those two definitely don't go hand in hand. I regularly struggle with imposter syndrome now, every day. Like
1: Which just can I say is is amazing because I see you outside of Misfits as the preeminent gaming talent agency in Australia. So yeah. that just underlines that point.
0: And I think I see click as the best gaming agency in Australia um, as well, but that doesn't mean that I don't also feel a lot of imposter syndrome around my role in that or my qualifications to lead that, even though I created it. <laughs> yeah, that is still a very regular thing that I am constantly kind of grappling with. I think I'm getting better at it. I would say like a few years ago, it was major. And now I think, you know, it, it, it's it's like there's two sides of the coin. It's not like a constant feeling. There are times where I can like quietly tap myself on the shoulder and be like, of course you're the right person for the job. Like who else would be the right person for the job? Um, and then there are times where I'm just like, wow, I have no idea like, <laughs> who gave me this level of responsibility? Like, why do all these people listen to me some days? Like, like, I don't know. So it's it's back and forth. But I would say, when did I think we'd mm, not made it, but like, when did I think, oh, wow, this is something? Probably, honestly, when we rented the Click House, that was pretty bold because we rented this crazy house in Darling Point that we decided we were going to put six of our top talent into Um, And we signed a year-long lease, which was more of a commitment than I'd ever made to anything, I think, maybe apart from my university degree. And the rent on that house was so much more money than we'd ever had in our bank account Um, at that time. Like, we were a small business then. Like, we were really small. Like, if I look back in hindsight and I if I had known like the challenges that that would bring the work it would involve I don't know if I would have done it because I would be like you you are not equipped for this um but it was like literally four of us just working above Elliot's garage in Piemont and then we hired this like ridiculous mansion in Darling Point to put all our gamers into it was it was completely ridiculous like I think I wasn't even paying myself a salary at that time. And yet we were renting this like $10,000 a week house. (laughs) I don't know how it worked out. It was a little touch and go there for a few minutes. But um, it, it was also the point where I walked into it and I was just like, oh my God, we have to seriously make something of this now. I think there's other moments like that along the road and some of them are big like moving into the house and some of them are small and I think you know there was a moment earlier this year where we had a bunch of our talent in our office and we had a bunch of our staff and everyone had come back from a shoot that we were doing and we just ordered a bunch of pizzas to the office and there was like 20 people maybe at the office half our half our talent half our staff and everyone was just like had come back from the shoot where we would made this video that was going out into the world And I like had this moment where I was like looking at everyone eating pizza and I was like, this is (laughs) like the coolest moment ever. You know, I've just had like all these people that genuinely get along, that love the work that they're doing. And somehow Click's been able to bring them all together. And we're making something that's going to go out into the world that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to watch and enjoy. And I was just like, that is, it was just a really lovely. Moment. And I was like, beyond, you know, the big brand deals or beyond like the value of the company or whatever, I was like, if, you know, I can have these moments where we've brought together a group of good people that are enjoying themselves and that have created great relationships because of Click and we're putting things out into the world that people love, I'm like, I think I'm happy.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that it's those little moments. It's not a big brand deal, like the brand deal stuff. You're so in the in the mix of it, you just like you can't even really grasp it. It's it's those little moments, like totally for me. It's it's when someone's approached us to manage them. That was sort of a big one where I started to realize, okay, we are doing something right here that people are talking about it. The other one was probably just recently, like Friday. We finally had the chance in two years to get up to fucking Sydney. And meet because the majority of our roster is in Sydney, like sixty yeah. percent. And uh, we were just sitting there having dinner, like a group dinner. And yeah, you're right. You it can be a simple meal. You're just sitting there, and you're just like, "Fuck, this is this is it." And then someone posted something about the dinner, like a TikTok post. And the first top comment was like, "Who managed to get all these people in one room?" And yeah. you see that, and you just go, "Yeah." <laughs> like,
0: So cool, so cool. It is those little moments. I mean, I remember like a trip to LA that like me and Emma, my business partner did. It must've been, must've been 2018, like June, 2018. I think we'd had the business for like a year. And like, when I say we'd had the business, like it was barely a business (laughs) at that point. But we were on a work trip to LA. And I remember like, we were, we'd just had meetings all morning. We were back at the hotel. We were like sitting by the pool, having a cocktail at 3 p.m. And I was just like, you know what? This could all end tomorrow. And this would have been the coolest thing I've ever done. And I was like, how insane that like we are here and we're taking meetings for a company that we own. I was just like, how <laughs> random, like <laughs> amazing.
1: How long ago was that?
0: That would have been June, 2018. So okay, well, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Right. And I really now try not to forget those moments or enjoy them when they come because it's a wild ride. And I often describe like, you know, the business is coming in waves and there's waves where you're just riding it and it's the best feeling in the world and everything's going right. And then there's challenges, you know, and sometimes those challenging waves can be bigger than others. And, um, I think like you have to, keep it in perspective that it is just a wave and it will pass even if it's a big one. And um, yeah, you can't like get so swept up in growth that you forget to just enjoy the moment as well Um, because having a business brings so much joy in ways that not having a business, you know, you don't get those particular moments Um, and it also brings a shitload more stress and challenges that you don't get either. Yeah. so you know you have to have to ride both
1: ways. What if I told you the way to take your brand to the next level in 2021 is with TikTok ads? A lot of our clients come to us with a problem. they need to take their brand to the next level. they're typically doing five to 10k a month and they need to jump to that 25 50k per month level. And Instagram and Facebook just isn't what it was so, What's the commonality amongst all this? It is primarily opportunity in a saturated market. And we think that TikTok ads today is the answer. Now, Norel follows a two-phase process to guide you as a challenger brand on the way to growth. Phase one is all about knowing your brand and niche back to front with a focus on breaking even or getting above a break even. Phase two is scaling that creative to blow up your sales in the process once we've secured you as the leader in that niche on TikTok you do this with the right partner a committed partner like Neural, and you'll build that confidence in an area that has typically been saturated in the past is not a silver bullet and we'd love to chat to you so book in a consultation with our specialist team just go to neural.com slash TikTok that's neurall com slash TikTok and we'll chat to you from there so, we were chatting earlier about uh, it's just little things, the perils of running a business, comps with talent. Like we're talking about how we'd have like Twitter conversations here, Messenger, and then you wrap it all into something like Discord. I guess I'm always intrigued. When, when, you know, Like I said earlier, that the click to me is probably the dominant gaming talent agency in Australia outside of Misfits. So they're really the only two that I can genuinely think about. Mm-hmm. There's parts that will never cha- change in this game. But I guess I'm just curious from your perspective as a talent management business, what do you think makes Click unique?
0: I think what we've really wanted to do from the start, and Click has changed a lot as a business over the last four years. Um, you know, we've changed from being like three or four of us in a garage above Elliot's house managing a handful of talent to now a much bigger business. We've got almost 20 staff. We have a roster of 30 fully managed talent and we represent Facebook in Australia and New Zealand and we manage and produce a bunch of YouTube channels ourselves. So what we do has changed and broadened significantly and I think it will continue to. I think gaming and talent management in general, especially with digital talent management, is not going to stay the same. And what talent management agencies look like now is not what they looked like five years ago. And I have no doubt it's not what they'll look like in five years from now. But I think what hasn't changed about Click over the last four years is um, our values and the way that we try to work with talent, the talent that we choose to work with, and the value that we're trying to bring to the industry. So I would say, In terms of the talent we work with, we try to work with talent that we think are good people first and foremost. And I think that is something that has taken a little refining over the years, but I think it's really, really important in a talent management business that you're working with people that you share values with.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that is something that's really important to me. We work with talent that want to work hard, that want to do the right thing, um, that want to grow their businesses and um, you know are going to be a great example, I think, in the industry. That's number one. Yeah, um, I think we try to provide a brilliant service to the people that we work with. We go above and beyond. Um, we genuinely care for the people that we work with. And then I think, on a wider sense in terms of what we're trying to contribute to the industry, I think we're really trying to change the perception of what gaming is and really play our part in legitimizing it to a huge group of people that don't currently understand or appreciate how significant and incredible the gaming industry is. I think there is a massive perception um, of gamers being, you know, like teenage boys in their bedrooms, (laughs) sitting in their, you know, dark rooms in their underwear or something playing Call of Duty. And while that exists, there's also so much more to the gaming industry. And it's this incredible way to reach this otherwise difficult to reach demographic, you know, people are, especially young people, are pretty tuned out of advertising. Like everyone knows what an ad looks and feels like and they're looking for, you know, genuine recommendations, which I believe working with talent um, allows you to achieve. And so I think a lot of the work that I get really excited about is our ability to work with more traditional agencies or brands or do podcasts like this or whatever, where I think we're able to kind of destigmatize some of the gaming industry. I also think the gaming industry can be seen as a little bit of a wild west and, you know, it's not super structured and that sort of thing. And that's, that's developing, but I think we want to just be seen to be a great group of people doing great work for the gaming industry and, um, and stuff that, yeah, people can be proud of.
1: And the thing, just to touch on the care component, I think in a previous interview, you mentioned that the role really is to help make a talent's career sustainable. Yeah. And I'd agree with that because in a lot of cases, it's it's been not flung onto them quite quickly, but it's often quite rapid, right? Definitely. You know, particularly when they're new. And I would agree with that. So I've got a lot of respect for any management team that thinks this way because you can just do as many brand deals as you want. But like you said, customers, followers, people that are watching content are more clued into it these days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we work with a lot of young people, you know, we work with a a lot of really young people that um, are incredibly talented, but not necessarily super commercial. And I think, um, yeah, I I don't take that responsibility lightly.
1: What what do you think for gaming in particular gives someone longevity? For example, in our focus has always been sort of comedy, let's say comedy slash lifestyle music. And a little bit of gaming. But those gamers specifically are focused on Minecraft. So yeah. f- for us, it's about educating them at the beginning. Okay, brand deals, great. Like You've been approached by people. They want you to do stuff for free. You're not getting paid for it. You should be getting paid this amount. So that's yeah. part one. Part two is is getting into more sustainable long-term stuff like a podcast, a show, something they're writing, etc. Cetera, et cetera. For gaming in particular, how does that differ for you guys?
0: Hmm. I think um, for gaming talent specifically, if I was talking to a talent that's starting out, I think not being too attached to one particular game, if you can be, is a massive advantage. I think um, the talent that I think have done that the best, like the gaming talent I think have done that the best is probably someone like a laser beam. He's one of the biggest YouTubers in the world now, certainly in Australia. And I think everyone would certainly consider him a gaming talent. But if you go to his channel, he's not playing a particular game. Like, you know, he got really big playing Fortnite, but people don't watch him because he's good at Fortnite. They watch him because he has such a great personality, his content is creative, and he is truly using the game just as a vehicle for his ideas. And I think that is something that is really important. I think you don't just want to be someone people watch because they like that particular game. If you have a great personality and you've found people that will, you've found an audience that will follow you no matter what you try, that is the definition of longevity. And then in terms of, um, I mean, in terms of revenue, obviously you want to be trying to diversify your revenue sources. So I'm always looking for talent that, you know, maybe we find them streaming on Twitch, but we think they have great potential to have really good YouTube content. Streamers are great. Um, but the content that they do doesn't have longevity really, um, because you're only monetized while you're live, which is not ideal. Obviously, if you can create a massive YouTube channel, that's monetizing and you're making money while you're sleeping, which is much more ideal. And then from there, you know, it's trying to build them out so that they've got a great brand and they have the ability to have long-term partnerships, which brings long-term revenue opportunities. And I think, you know, one of the talent that I'm working with at the moment, Aussie Antics is like the perfect example of that. He's now, I think the biggest Fortnite streamer in the world. And we found him, he was streaming on Twitch and doing a great job there with a particular format. And now he's been able to diversify that a lot. He's got a great YouTube channel as well. He's partnered with an esports org in the U.S., and so what he's able to do has diversified a lot and I think given him a huge amount more longevity.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting you mention being known as a storyteller and not a Fortnite gamer it is absolutely key. There's no doubt about that. I'd never ever thought about the um, the whole Twitch for YouTube thing. Um, yeah. So it's very, very interesting. This medium of gaming, what is it about it, do you think? Like, I, I you know... When you look at comedy and stuff like that, it's often just like about engagement for a short period of time. How does someone react to a TikTok? Like does 24% of the audience engage at 3%? What is it the thing that people are particularly in tune of? What is it the brand's like? Is there anything in particular about gaming that makes it different?
0: Yeah. and And I think this is coming from someone that was not a gamer growing up. Um, but it's now something that I have a massive appreciation for. And I think gaming's amazing because it's so engaging. And whether you're playing a game or you're watching gaming content, the length of engagement with that content is so much longer than I see on any other content or social media, hands down by like a factor of hundreds, I think. Like for many of our creators on Twitch, their average watch time on Twitch is like 27 minutes. Like that's nuts. Like on average, people are opening and watching for 27 minutes. It's a really, really long time when you compare it to like a TikTok where you're just flicking, flicking, flicking.
1: Six seconds, you're lucky.
0: So it's like that amount of time where people are like truly engaged with that content is very, very unique. And I think gaming's not going anywhere because what gaming as a medium looks like is developing so rapidly. And, you know, I think a lot of people see gaming as like, yeah, teenage boys logging on, playing Call of Duty for half an hour or an hour or whatever, and then logging off. But what that gaming experience looks like now is very different. And people aren't doing it just to play a game. They're doing it to engage with people to hang out with their friends virtually and you know I think we saw that a lot over COVID where gaming and gaming content in particular completely exploded and um, you know I I don't forget that like a couple years ago we were at the Fortnite World Cup in New York and I was talking to one of the Fortnite developers there and he was like yeah we're noticing this trend where like teenagers will come onto Fortnite but they're just hanging out in the lobby like they're not even playing games they're just hanging out in the lobby like talking on voice to their friends. Like, you know, they're hanging out after school. They're not playing the game. They're just there talking to their friends. They're using Fortnite to do that. Wow. And I think it's amazing now. And it's not surprising with that in mind now that you're seeing companies like Epic talking about the metaverse. You're seeing Facebook rebrand to meta. And it's all about how are these big internet companies going to create these much more always-on immersive internet experiences and whatever we're doing online now is way less static you know it's not like you're going onto the internet and you're typing in typing like how to cook salmon or something and then you're just there and you're working out how to cook salmon and then you log off and that's the end of your internet experience it's like everything we're doing now is becoming so much more immersive and gaming whether that looks like what traditional gaming looks like or whether it looks like something a little bit different and it's much more sandboxed and it's much more, you know, people going to watch a Travis Scott concert in Fortnite or an Ariana Grande concert in Fortnite, or, you know, they're going into a VR world and doing something there. That is all gaming in my mind. And um, that's only going to keep growing so much bigger and and the audience of people that are going to be taking part in it. Okay.
1: I can see how you're starting to look at this business in the long term. With the, the <laughs> development of the metaverse. Yeah, there, there's something very exciting about that, you know, because it combines three key areas, which is AR, VR slash gaming, NFT slash crypto, and AI. Yeah. It, it, there's something about that combination of three things that is super exciting. And I, I would agree with that. There's a few different companies focused on this area, and it's very interesting to, to hear you focus in on that. I just want to pull back to, um, uh, you mentioned before about laser beam. I'm pretty sure he was in Free Guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that just, I think, to me, highlights their role as storytellers in this future world that we're starting to look at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, thinking about the metaverse and the future and discovery in particular. Before we get into these rapid fire questions, how do you now, with an established business, look at? discovering someone like an Aussie antics
0: I think we're always on the lookout now for creators that we think are great and we're really lucky to be in a position now where a lot of creators will reach out to us and be looking for management but I do think I do think there's an x factor and it's funny actually I was talking with Elliot about this the other day because when we signed Aussie which was probably like I don't know a year a year and a half ago now like I, um, saw him and I was just like, I want to work with him. Like something about him is great. And like, I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was, but I was like, there is something about him that's great. And Elliot was a little bit more like, Oh, I don't know. I think he's like too Fortnite based. (laughs) He's like, not as versatile. He's like more of just commentating on the community rather than like being part of it himself. And I was like, no, I was like, we're signing him. Like I'm this is one of my calls that I like really want to make. And he was like, okay, go for it. And now Ozzy is like so successful. He's also a brilliant person to work with. He's switched on. He's got good values. He works hard. And um he's absolutely been one of the people that I've like been most excited to sign in the last couple of years. So I think, yeah, I think there is a bit of an X factor that isn't quantifiable. Yeah. Um, but just people that I think like are uh, creating content that they know they would want to watch, and they are unapologetic about the way that they deliver it. I think.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you're absolutely right. There's looking at numbers, and then sometimes there's just like an innate thing about the person. Yeah. Because someone yeah, can have absolutely big follower numbers, big viewer numbers, and you start to watch their content, and you go, mm, I don't know. You know, like that—that that has happened to me. Even in the early days Definitely. when we when we signed a bunch of people and you just like in hindsight you're like, why did I do this?
0: Yeah and there may be people that are writing a particular trend or something yeah. and so they're popping off for a moment but it's like do they have something underlying? Have they built trust with their audience? Yeah um, and I think that's really important.
1: Rapid fire questions to finish things off okay. Uh, Best purchase under two hundred dollars, or roughly two hundred dollars.
0: I've got to say, my AirPods. I was laughing about this before because I'm pretty sure this is like my seventh pair of AirPods, (laughs) and I'm pretty sure they're just over two hundred dollars. But I live my life with these in my ears, like whether I'm like in meetings or I'm walking and listening to music or I'm like trying to fall asleep. Like I reckon my AirPods are in my ears, like eight hours a day which is probably awful but are
1: you are you a standard airpods person or airpods pro
0: okay i'm very passionate about this okay i'm a standard airpods person i am not an airpod pro person and i feel strongly about this for a couple of reasons okay one the airpod pros are twice as expensive yeah that's a lot also i lose airpods not (laughs) infrequently so That's a factor as well. Yeah. Also, when I'm walking outside, I don't want the um, noise canceling on because it's not very safe usually. Like if I'm crossing the road, I want to be able to hear someone walking up behind me. I don't want the air can the noise canceling on. I realize you can turn it off and on. But also, if I'm at home and I'm listening to my AirPods or I'm working and I'm listening to my AirPods, I don't need the noise canceling because yeah. I'm in a quiet environment. So either I'm in an environment where Um, (laughs) I don't want the noise cancelling or I'm in an environment where I don't need it. So I feel like it's a waste of money, to be honest. And I think the standard ones fit my ears better. Okay. Um, And you don't feel as guilty when you lose them. So that's my thesis on AirPods.
1: I would agree with that. I think noise cancelling is overrated. Personally. Okay,
0: this is good because I was purchasing a pair with Elliot, um, my brother, last week, and he was like, "If you're going to buy a pros, now's the time because travel's about to open up, and so you're going to want them on planes." Which I thought was a valid point, mm. um, but I still didn't, still didn't take him up on
1: it. it. It's a, it's a very niche application, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you're going to buy headphones specifically for the airplane and nothing else. Like I can yeah. understand like maybe you've got like a... You put it in, your carry on and it's it's one of the, the guilty pleasures we can have as business owners just to lash out on something like that. But yeah. no, I, I hate noise counselling with actually a passion. I genuinely oh. don't like it. I just... Okay. It's <laughs> the lack of awareness and lack of control of my environment that worries me. Uh, I just yes. think about so many people. Every time you read about these people getting hit by a tram because they were listening to something or they didn't see a car, whatever. I swear to God, it's because they've got noise yeah. cancelling.
0: I didn't want to take it too dark, but I um, did a self-defence course at school when I was like 14. And the only takeaway I remember, um, well, I remember a couple of takeaways actually, but one of the main takeaways I remember was the guy was like, ideally only be listening to something. Like if you're walking alone at night, like don't have two headphones in and um, definitely don't be noise cancelling yeah. in case someone comes up behind you and... That yeah. stuck
1: with me. Yeah, that's a, that's I that's a good hey, that's a good class. It's a good yeah. class. <laughs> All right. Podcast, doco, or movie you've been watching lately? Can't say free guy.
0: So I actually didn't even get to see free guy in movies, which is devastating because we were yeah. in lockdown and um, we went to Boston like two years ago to film it. It was such a great experience. But um anyway, I am like the biggest podcast. Aficionado um that I know. Like if you know me well or any of my friends know me well, I'm constantly recommending podcasts to people. I'm like, don't have the attention span for movies. TV doesn't really do it for me, but I'm like constantly listening to podcasts. So a couple of recent recommendations. I listen to like the Daily and the Journal um, basically every day. They're like, do you know them? Yeah. Okay. The Daily by the New York Times, The Journal by the Wall Street Journal, brilliant, love them. I just feel like they, like, you know, you you get to feel quite informed in like bite-sized pieces. The Journal has recently done a series called The Facebook Files, um, which taps into the leaks that have recently come out about Facebook. And I found that super interesting Um, partly because we do a lot of work with Facebook and partly because I find anything about how algorithms work fascinating. Mm. Um, so if you're into big tech or anything like that, I thought they did a really great job of that.
1: Okay. And is there any particular, like I have a few podcasts that outside of like news or like long form interviews that I always, always go to. Do you have anything Mm. like that at the moment? And one of those is really just like a comedy show that has like uh, different formats. So they have like different segments, so to speak. Is there anything you have like that at all?
0: I listen to like, I love like Radio Lab. I love like a lot of the NPR podcasts. I'm not a big comedy podcast person and I'm not sure why. So maybe you can give me a comedy recommendation.
1: Uh <laughs> comedy is so subjective that I am absolutely not giving a recommendation. But okay. <laughs> I will say, I will say that I enjoy to be honest with you, I listen to Jace and Lauren from Kiss. Their podcast oh, yeah. is actually like I don't listen to their show, and Jace will hate me for saying this, but um I, I think that is awesome. I quite like them. And the other one I listen to that is is most people will hate because these guys are like the South Park version of Australia. They actually just, you find this very funny. uh, Pauline Hanson just commissioned them to make a South Park version of uh, like Parliament. I I don't know. It was on Lad Bible. It was very, very funny. Oh,
0: my God. Because
1: these these guys have uh, sold a few shows to Channel 7. So they make like cartoons and they've got a show called Stepmates uh, well, the studio is called Stepmates and they've got a podcast, and I absolutely love it. And it's probably because okay. I'm, I'm friends with them, and that's it. Okay. So that's fair. <laughs> they're, they're the two comedy I would say that that I listen yeah. to. I um, also have
0: a podcast myself that yeah, i Yeah, The Rookie my CEO.
1: I'll,
0: I've got that, and I've got Watch Time, which is much more regular. Okay. Um, Watch Time, we talk about basically like current events happening on the YouTube, internet, influencer space. Um, so if you're into that, kind of thing which
1: that's right we are. watch time pod um yeah. we'll make sure we link all of that i was just looking at the um the rookie ceo this morning before we jumped into it all right last question for you if there's a quote you had to live by what would it be or something that you think of often as a quote
0: i am a big quote person <laughs> i love okay. a good quote but one that i've been thinking about recently i would say quite a lot is um, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit.
1: Okay. And
0: I think I live in an industry or, you know, it's a world where I think you're used to seeing a lot of instant gratification and you go onto Instagram and it or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever and it feels like someone's constantly making some new announcement about some incredible new thing that they're doing. Um, and I think it's worth remembering that. Putting in the work, you've got to take the longest view in the room sometimes and um, good things will come with patience and with preparation.
1: a so, 100% agree with that. There's no yeah. doubt about it. the Most things I've done that are worth doing have zero, have had zero results in the first couple of months or a year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I find that difficult. Sometimes I realize I like thrive on like back quick, quick gratification, Um, whether it be, you know, like my role's changed a lot. And I think like last year I was focused a lot more on sales and doing brand deals. And like that can be, you can get addicted to like riding the highs of that and being like, okay, one more deal today, like one more deal this week, and then it's here and it's done. And then you're paid and it feels good. And I feel like now I'm trying to get myself into mindset more where I'm thinking about like, okay, what do you want to be doing like six months or a year? And like, how can you prepare for that now?
1: Yeah. I'd agree with that, Grace. It's been a pleasure having you on, Jam Toast and all. Where where can people find you on the interwebs? I think
0: you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Um, just at Grace Watkins.
1: We'll link all of that, so people who are listening now, watching, can find that in the show notes. And I'd thoroughly recommend uh, anyone who's getting into. The management space, or just starting a business, uh, go listen to the Rookie CEO because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of feelings we all have getting into running a business that is in that podcast. I would say, um, but Grace, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you liked it, do subscribe. And of course, like it on YouTube if you're watching as well. We'd really appreciate that. For audio, if you have not already listening on your podcast app, you can search for it on any good app, including Spotify, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. For video, if you're not watching, you can search Uncommon Podcasts on YouTube. It's the first one that appears every single time. For behind the scenes, do follow us on Instagram and TikTok. It's at uncommon underscore show. But until next time, thanks for tuning in.